0: And caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. Let us set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart. And close your eyes. Unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. So take a deep breath in. Hold it for five seconds. And as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let your past go. So take another deep breath in, hold it for five seconds, and let it out with a sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. Welcome, my audience. Today, I am going to let you in on a secret, so you have to come closer and pay attention. The secret is this episode is going to change your beliefs and thoughts about mental illness and therefore, it's going to change your life. And let me repeat this episode is going to help you change your beliefs and thoughts about mental illness, and it's going to change your life. <music> I trust by now you all realize that we have both physical and mental health. So let's talk about physical illness first, because nobody is ashamed when they're physically ill, right? If they're physically sick. So the question is, why do we keep getting sick? It is not uncommon. So one of the reasons, one of the common reasons is that it's possible to get sick regularly when the immune system is not functioning correctly. Or our immune system is low, is weak, and therefore the body is unable to fight off germs, bacteria, viruses, so on and so forth. And there is not much stigma attached to any kind of physical illness, right? Right. So we don't particularly feel ashamed of a specific physical illness or disorder, and other people will not shame us as well. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Whenever somebody gets sick, physically that is, a lot of the friends, family, they will express sympathy if not empathy. And that's what we expect them to do. Lots of TLC and emotional support. So what about mental illness then? Well, I'm sure you all know the answer to that question. And it is quite the opposite. You see, the belief is that mental illness, as soon as we hear those two words, the immediate image in our mind's eye, is somebody in a straitjacket, right? I bet you a lot of people think that way, and that's how they perceive mental illness. So my intention for today's episode is that with the knowledge that I share with you here, I sincerely hope that at least you will shift your paradigm you will have a different perception on mental illness. And more importantly, please spread the word and educate others. Because mental illness is more common than you think. As a matter of fact, I dare say mental illness is almost as common as physical illness. And one reason being a lot of us do not realize that we are experiencing mental illness. And if we do, more often than not, we choose to be in denial and avoid getting professional help. So now allow me to share with you some of the statistics that has been surveyed by our Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. All right, so the National Survey of Mental Health and Wellbeing in 2007 estimated that Nearly one in two, that means 46%, Australians aged between 16 to 85 had experienced a mental disorder during their lifetime. That's almost 50% of Australians. And it's back in 2007. Now it's 2021. So I'm sure the figure is much higher now in 2021 And also in that survey, one in five, that means 20% people who had experienced a mental disorder in their lifetime had symptoms in the 12 months before the survey interview. For these people, anxiety disorders were the most prevalent type of disorder, 14%, followed by affective disorders meaning mood disorders such as unipolar depression, postpartum depression, and bipolar. And substance use disorders, 5.1%. The survey also estimated that a higher proportion of males than females 48% compared with 43% had experienced a mental disorder in their lifetime. However, a higher proportion of females than males, um, that is 22%, compared with 18%, had experienced symptoms in the 12 months before the survey no doubt these are alarming figures. What it means is that the point I'm trying to make here is that mental illness is indeed common and prevalent, just like any form of physical illness. I have no doubt that there are more people who are experiencing symptoms of anxiety disorder ever since covid back in 2020 it's been going on for a long time and in australia we are still experiencing lockdown and no doubt is affecting our mental health big time so what about our ally country the united states i checked with professor google and that's what i found An estimated 26% of Americans ages 18 and older, about one in four adults, suffers from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. Many people suffer from more than one mental disorder at a given time, and in particular, depressive illnesses tend to co-occur with substance abuse and anxiety disorders. Well, to be honest, I think that percentage is a bit low. Anyways, let me circle back to when we get physically ill, most likely one of the reasons is that our immune system is low. So what about when we get mentally ill? And that is another secret that I'm going to share with you here don't worry, I am not going to give you a myriad scientific reasons why we get mentally sick. Instead, I am going to give you a more practical reason, and that is our psychology muscle is weak. And believe it or not, for some people, is basically non-existent. So what do I mean by psychology muscle? Well, let me remind you of the concept that I have shared with you many, many times in my previous episodes, and that is feelings come from thoughts, thoughts come from beliefs, and where do beliefs come from? Beliefs come from two ways. It's either from our past experience or we learned from our caregivers when we are young. Now, my audience, I'm sure that some of you out there may think of emotions as reactions. Like if a thief knocks down your door and you are flooded with fear, or your baby smiles up at you and you are filled with love. It feels like this is how emotions work. Something happens and we instinctively respond. Well, okay. From an evolutionary standpoint, this action-reaction phenomenon makes sense. However, it is so disempowering, isn't it? Now, audience, this is another secret that I'm going to share with you. This concept of emotion, action-reaction, is a fan-favorite It's preservation in society, feeding off our tendency to romanticize the easy and seemingly congruous explanations. No, 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 no. This concept no longer serves us. So let me circle back to the concept that I learned from psychologist Lisa Feldman Barrett. I like the way that she offers a different way to look at emotions. In order to understand this fully, you have to understand how our brain works. Now, the human brain is a tiny thing considering the massive checklist of tasks and targets. It has to take off on an hour-to-hour basis. The brain oversees the respiratory, cardiovascular, renal, endocrine, cerebral, and neurological functions, to mention just a few, which all fire up simultaneously, each requiring intricate attention. So, our brain learns to simplify these tasks by automatizing certain pathways, and that is neural pathways, using our biological machine learning capabilities to maximize our brain's firepower. So to put it in practical terms, our brain likes to take shortcuts. It likes to take the easy way out. So our emotions take advantage of this capability. They are formed through synaptic combinations of neurotransmitters and their respective receptors, which are preceded by a specific trigger. Now, are you following me? This is very important. Our brain assigns a specific emotion to the stimulatory input, meaning an event, by attempting to match these chemical combinations to a similar previous experience. So the brain then categorizes these responses to their respective stimulatory inputs so that when a similar stimulation is generated in the future, the response can be automated. Now audience, stay with me. I'm almost there. So emotions when perceived this way, what psychologist Barrett suggested, become biological concepts, yeah? So they help shape the way we view and understand the world, formed and molded by our upbringing. Therefore, earlier I mentioned beliefs. Beliefs come from our upbringing, by our caregivers, or early experiences and social encounters. Now, it's difficult to completely grasp this concept because it runs paradoxically to our culture's understanding and popular portrayal of emotions. I understand that. However, psychologist Barrett's theory suggests that emotions are not fixed. Action, reaction, responses. And I so agree. But rather concepts which are malleable and plastic, because our brain is malleable and plastic. It is scientifically proven. So let me remind you again, feelings come from thoughts. Thoughts come from beliefs. Beliefs can come from our upbringing, past experience, and learned from our caregivers when we are young. Okay, I know there is a lot to digest and process, so let me end this episode uh, by giving you an example uh, to this concept. So let's say Michael, a husband and father, uh, his wife, Amanda, and their two children were driving down a slippery highway when their car spun out of control and collided with a truck driving in the opposite direction. So let's call the truck driver Tommy. Let's say he was unscathed and he got out of his truck and helped the injured couple, but also saw two-year-old Mickey's lifeless body in the mangled car of the family. Now, the images caused an emotional scar so deep that he filed a lawsuit a year later against the grieving family for precipitating his emotional distress. Later on, they found out that Tommy was brought up in a conservative environment where men were expected to protect the people around them, regardless of the nature of the circumstances. So that's why he adopted this narrative throughout his life. And as a result, he decided to get out of the truck and go and help that injured family. And in addition, he blamed Michael, the father, who is the driver at the time, for failing to protect his family and take control of the circumstances that lead up to the accident. So unfortunately, this viewpoint caused significant emotional distress in him, which tragically lead to his suing of the grieving couple. Now, through the lens of the action-reaction phenomenon, this response made sense, right? But Tommy felt an immense feeling of guilt and pain, feelings which he himself could not control, and that lead to his subsequent unemployment and mental overload. But with Barrett's concept, it doesn't make sense. Tommy's emotional distress, which was clearly caused by the worldview he adopted since he was young, could actually have been addressed and tackled appropriately if it was viewed from the lens of this hypothesis. So perhaps, my audience, it c- could have prevented the lawsuit altogether. The differences of these two concepts do not present themselves in the black or white, right or wrong dichotomy, okay? I want to make this uh, very clear. However, I want you to think in terms of which one is more empowering, the old world view of action, reaction, or that if the belief is no longer serving us, then maybe we could change it, right? Which one is more empowering? Let me know. So on this note, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. You can find this podcast to be honest on Apple Podcast, Spotify and my website www.drbarbaraqiao.com dr b a r b dot o.com